So Wicca and witchcraft. Uh, by the way, just so you know, somebody asked me, what's the difference between a cult and the occult? A cult, C-U-L-T, is a term that the Christian church has used to identify a group of people who may claim to be the Christian church or claim to be the only true church like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses, but they deny or distort one or more of the fundamental doctrines of Christianity. That's a cult. The occult, O-C-C-U-L-T, is something different. The occult is that which is occluded, that which is secret, that which is behind the veil. So an occultist is someone who tries to get behind the veil to ascertain information about the past, present, or future. Witches or Wiccans, which I'll explain in a moment, are those who are trying to get information through divination. They practice magic. Magic is magic, sometimes spelled with a K at the end, to differentiate the term from what's called prestidigitation. Now, that's a big word, but prestidigitation just simply means sleight of hand magic. So if you've seen a good magician before and you've seen some of those shows that he will show you his tricks like, you know, behind the veil, kind of, this is how I did this. I was distracting you over here and I did this. That's a good magician. They're good with sleight of hand. Magic in the sense of Wicca is to use spells or incantations or other things to bring out a desired effect. And the desired effect for most witches is a benevolent one. You need to know that witches are different from Satanists and we need to represent what they believe accurately. Witches are not Satanists. Satanists are very much into what we would call self-engrandizement. They're really, the highest holiday for a Satanist is their own birthday. They will do anything they can do to get pleasure out of life. And so a Satanist is really into whatever I can do to get pleasure, that's what I'm gonna do. They don't worry too much about other things. Whereas someone who practices Wicca is someone who's concerned about the environment. You'll find that witches tend to be very environmental because they believe that deity is imminent within nature. They believe that the goddess and God that they believe in, I'll explain in a moment, are within the very nature that we live in. So some witches have become vegetarians because they even believe, some of them at least believe, that animals have souls. So they don't want to eat an animal because they believe that that animal may have a soul. Some of you have heard about the idea of a tree hugger. Well, it's that idea that uh, God is imminent in nature. So everything becomes sacred to them. So a witch, you need to put away the idea of the black hat and all of that stuff. There are a few that may be extreme and dress strangely and that kind of thing. But if, so, if you met someone who practiced Wicca, you probably would not know it from their exterior. Their moms and dads, grandpas and grandmas, aunts and uncles and so forth. And you might ask the question, well, how does someone end up practicing witchcraft? Well, I'll tell you this, and this is something that I've learned over the years in studying these different religions and cults and the occult, is that most of them end up in witchcraft after going the, out the back door of a church. Many of them have grown up in the Christian church, and they became disillusioned or disenfranchised with the church. Now, on the negative side, we could say, well, maybe they met people who were hyper-legalistic, 
you know, everything you do, you're going to hell. Look, we have brethren out there that are not the most balanced people. I just have to tell you, if you go around the country, not all of our brethren are solid doctrinally. Not all of them understand grace really well. And sometimes well-meaning people have platforms where they spread messages that confuse people. And so people walk into Christian churches and sometimes they feel alienated or they don't get proper doctrine and so they leave the church. I heard a testimony from a woman who uh, was part of a Southern Baptist church, grew up in it. She left the church, uh, went into witchcraft, went back into the church, left the church again, went back into witchcraft, ended up uh, describing herself as a Christian witch at some point. It's like she knew so much about the Lord that she knew what she was doing was wrong, but then she'd, be, she'd feel torn, and she was going back and forth for a long time. That was her own personal testimony. And so we have to understand that people who end up in these movements are not necessarily born what we'd call pagan. They, they often gravitate to these movements because they've been disappointed. Now, on the flip side, I will tell you that some people use every excuse in the world not to be accountable to God. So while it is true that some people meet hypocrites and over, overly legalistic uh, Christians, it's also true that some people just don't want to be accountable to God. Let's face it. And so they hang their hat on a hypocrite or they hang their hat on one bad experience and they look at people instead of looking at Jesus Christ. Look, people are going to disappoint you. And by the way, people in every movement will be disappointing. Christians do not claim to be perfect. They claim to be forgiven. But would to God that us as Christians would be doing our very best by the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses in the world because obviously people put a large emphasis on how we behave. And if you witness to someone who's involved in witchcraft or Wicca, you're probably going to offend them just by witnessing to them because they'll see your witnessing to them as an attack on their faith. So one of the best things that you can do as a Christian is simply live your faith and look for an opportunity. I'll tell you a quick story. Some years ago, uh, our kids were young and there was a, a young man that was going into a class and he was a little afraid and scared and he belonged to another mom who was there. And I just got down on my knee and I just tried to reassure him. It was the first day of kindergarten and you know how hectic that can be for moms and kids. And he was a bit overwhelmed and I said, it's gonna be okay. And I got down on my knee and I just reassured him and he went into the classroom and his mom, who I know was involved in some paganism, made this statement. This is not to toot my horn, but this just tells you, I think, what's going on out there in the minds of people. Something like this. If more Christians were like you guys, me and Brenda, there would be more people who would be Christians. And it was just a simple act of kindness, you could say. But what, what would that lead you to conclude if you heard that statement? You would conclude that she's had a bad experience in the church. And so this is what we find with a lot of people that gravitate towards these movements. Now, I'm going to give you a definition. And uh, tonight we are going to have an interview with Joe and Wendy Kelly. And we'll, we'll get to that. And then we're going to do a time of Q&A. But let me explain. I'm going to give you a definition. Wicca, you might be confused. You hear witchcraft, Wicca, which is it? Witchcraft is the older term. Wicca is the modern term. Wicca is a generic term for modern and contemporary witchcraft. It includes all the various 
uh, or traditions of modern and contemporary witchcraft, such as Alexandrian, Algard, Dianic, Gardnerian, Georgian, Siax, Wicca, and so forth. A lot of what I'm going to read to you tonight, quotes that I read to you tonight, are from a book called Witchcraft, Exploring the World of Wicca. It was penned by Professor Craig Hawkins. If you're interested in getting a copy of this book, if you want to know more, I can't possibly cover everything, of course. So uh, that's a book that I would recommend to you. There are other resources that I can point you to. But that is the definition. A Wiccan is one who practices Wicca or witchcraft. And um, I, I think the key to reaching them, of course, as I said earlier, is love. What is a witch? Anthropologists... Um, Anthropological studies and Christian missionaries have labeled any and all types of shamanism and sorcery and many forms of healing as witchcraft. Now, there are some major things that those involved in the occult get involved with. One of the things that they get involved with is divination. Divination is to try to find out information about the past, present, or future by means of crystal balls, scrying, Ouija boards, and that kind of thing. So there is such a thing as divination. In the book of Acts, you might remember in Acts chapter 16, Paul goes into Philippi, and he meets a young servant girl who had a spirit of divination. Literally, the Greek there is a python spirit. This is Acts 16. It's right around verses 16 through 20. She was able to tell people's fortunes by virtue of this demonic spirit within her. And she was making her masters much money. They were really happy, but there was only one problem. She was demon-possessed. The way that she was able to tell people's fortunes was by virtue of the demonic spirit within her. She was making her masters much money, hand over fist, and she was following around the missionary team and saying something like this, these men are showing you, telling you the way of salvation. The modern translations say the way. You actually look at the Greek and it can be uh, rendered a way. So it may be that she was saying there's many ways or it may just be that God doesn't need the devil's endorsement. But Paul... And I, this is one of my favorite Bible verses. Paul annoyed, that's the literal rendering of the Bible. He was annoyed. Apparently it's biblical to get annoyed. She was following them around and apparently she kept saying this over and over again. And he turned to the spirit and he said, come out of her. And she was delivered from demonic possession, which meant she could no longer tell the fortunes of the people, which means no more fortune for her master's. Now, her masters were so benevolent that after she was delivered from demonic possession, do you know what they said? Hallelujah, praise the Lord. This is great, wonderful. You're free, sister. Oh, no. (laughs) They got upset. And they went to the leaders of the city and they said, these men are teaching things that us Romans don't believe. And uh, you know that the missionary team got in trouble, but they ended up in the Philippian jail. And the Philippian jailer ended up getting saved. And God works all things together for good. Praise the Lord. Anyway, that's just one of the stories. That's divination. She was able to tell people's fortunes by virtue of this demonic spirit. Now, they didn't care about her. Once she got delivered, all they cared about was that they were going to be missing money. But she was delivered by the power of Jesus Christ. And by the way, she was one of the early members, founding members of the church at Philippi. How's that? 
Beautiful, isn't it? That's what the Lord does. But she was able to get this information by virtue of a demonic spirit. So let me just explain. Pragmatism, that is, if something works, is not the end all for your worldview. You don't just believe something because it works. Think about it. If the devil could show you a miracle, if he could give you information about the past, present, or future that nobody knew, and it was like inside information, you knew it was supernatural. That's how he hooks a lot of people. The first encounter, wow, this is amazing. Who could know such a thing? And someone starts down what looks like a rosy path to what? To destruction. The devil has all kinds of ways to bring hooks into people. So that's one of the stories. Now we have another story, and it's, uh, it's in 1 Samuel 28, and I'll, I'll just sum up the story for the sake of time. And this is where Saul is in trouble. The Philistines have gathered, and uh, I'll tell you what, you guys opened up there, so let's take a look at it together. 1 Samuel 28. Now Samuel 28.3 was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists. Now a medium becomes kind of a medium or a channeler for demonic or dark power. A spiritist is just that, a person who traffics with spirits. So you can see how these terms, if you just kind of take a look at them, they're kind of self-explanatory. A medium becomes almost a channel for something to come into them and control them. Someone asked me earlier, they couldn't be here tonight, they asked me about uh, the Course in Miracles. How many of you have heard about the Course in Miracles? It was around for a while. It, she was an atheist, I think she was a Jewish doctor, who claimed that a spirit would possess her and she would go into automatic writing. And she wrote this whole Course in Miracles by virtue of being possessed by some spirit, but she claimed to be basically an atheist. Well, you say, how does that work? Well, she was overcome by this spirit, and she said she would just start writing. Now, what you also see in some of these movements is something called shamanism. Shamans are supposed to be like psychic healers. And how many of you remember the movie The Green Mile? Did you see that movie? Okay. Remember the black guy in The Green Mile who seemed to have power to heal people? He did have power. Do you remember when he goes to the warden's wife's home and he says, I can see it. And he can see what's wrong with her. And he goes, and he sucks the disease out of her and then kind of barfs it up. That's actually the idea of shamanism, where a shaman could see something wrong with you, suck it out of you. This is some of the teaching of shamanism. And kind of take it into them and expel it out and bring healing to your life. A shaman is an occultist. It's someone who's involved in the, the process. Now look, how many people are desperate to find healing, physical healing? Of course, so many, right? And we totally understand that. If we're sick, we, we deeply desire healing. So the, the shaman is like a witch doctor. And here's the term witch again, but he's, he's supposed to help you with your healing. So many people who are involved in this uh, do this kind of thing. So the Philistines, verse four, gathered together and came and camped in uh, Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together and they camped in Gilboa. When Saul, when Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, verse five, he was afraid 
and his heart trembled greatly. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by the Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, seek for me a woman who's a medium. And we know that Saul was an impatient guy, right? That I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, behold, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. Then Saul disguised himself by putting on other clothes and went, he and two men with him. They came to the woman by night and he said, conjure up for me, please, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. But the woman said to him, behold, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off all those who are mediums and spiritists from the land. Now she didn't know it was Saul at this moment. Why are you then laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? And Saul vowed to her by who? (laughs) By the Lord, although he was doing something he knew was a no-no. Saying, as the Lord lives, he now calls an oath down, invoking the name of the living God. There shall be, shall no punishment come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. Now Samuel was dead. When the woman saw Samuel, now does it, the Bible say anything about she went into her whole convulsion thing? Oh, nothing. All of a sudden, Samuel just shows up. Right, And when she saw Samuel, she saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice and the woman spoke to Saul saying, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. Now, I don't know if this means that she was a shyster and she never saw a spirit before or if she was just shocked by how this had happened and she knew it wasn't her, it was God. Some people have questions. Some of the early church fathers thought it maybe this was a spirit impersonating Samuel, but I don't think so. I think the Lord allowed this to speak a word of judgment on Saul's life. The king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? The woman said to Saul, I see a divine being coming up out of the earth. This is her way of describing it. And he said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up. I think this is just for them to recognize who it was. He was wrapped with a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and did homage. Now, the rest of the story is Samuel saying, why have you disturbed me? Uh, Okay, you wanted a message? Here it is. Tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. The only seance in the Bible that's been recorded (laughs) ended very badly for the man who desired information. This is just something that I believe in this instance God allowed to speak a word of judgment on Saul's life. Now, in the book of Acts, there's another story that I'll have you flip over to. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And there's a man who uh, is described as a magician. Acts chapter 8. Acts 8. His name is Simon. So we're going to go to Acts 8, verse 6. And let me just describe to you what magic is. So you've heard the term divination to divine, knowledge about the past, present, or future. Magic is doing something to control your environment by way of a spell or an incantation. It could be if if it was for non-benevolent reasons to put a curse on somebody, right? If it was for benevolent reasons, it might be for healing or it might be for something good. So, Witches have talked about that there could be, and this is not accepted by all, a distinction between white and black magic. But some witches or Wiccans say that's too simplistic. But white magic, what do you think that would be for? Benevolent, 
purposes, and black magic would be for more dark purposes. But some say they don't even make that kind of distinction. And so we have a couple of these cases. So check this out. So this is Acts 8, verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, Acts 8, 5, began proclaiming Christ to them. The multitudes with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was much rejoicing in the city. Now there was a certain man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic. That's the, the same word that I just described. You know, the, the type of magic that you would try to get entities or the universe or the powers out there. You try to, as a witch, you try to tap into the forces that are out there. But witches would tell you they don't really know all the forces that are out there. When they're calling to the spirits, some say they don't traffic with the spirits, as it were, but others are just calling on the elements. They're calling on water. They're calling on fire. They're calling to the spirits. They're invoking them for help. And if you begin to call out to the spirits, watch out that they don't show up at your house. If you call for them, the handle of the door seems to be on our side. And even those who have written books on Wicca and witchcraft have said, if you start to call out to the spirits, be careful. They may just show up and stick around for a while and harass you and your family. There's a testimony from Guadalupe Rosales in a book written called Facts on Halloween, John Ankerberg and John Weldon. She tells a story that she, was a, she claimed to be a Christian and she encountered some very dark things tried to leave Wicca or witchcraft. At first they told her, oh, you can invoke the name of Jesus. We, we believe all truth. You know, whatever your truth is, is fine. It's fine. It wasn't fine. They brought her before councils and told her if she was going to be in the coven, she could not name the name of Jesus anymore. They seemed to be open to everything else in her case except for the name of Jesus. So they will say they are an anti-dogmatic group. They're pretty much open to everything. But have you noticed, people seem to be pretty much open to everything except somebody named Jesus. So all of these things are happening. This, this man had been practicing magic. He's in the, he was astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be somebody great, Acts uh, 8.10. They all, from the smallest to the greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with what? With his magic arts. Same idea. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized men and women alike. And even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed the signs and great miracles taking place, and he was constantly amazed. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John. Those are two big guns, right? Who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to comment on all of this because this is for another time. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw 
that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands. He offered them what? Money. And he said, give this authority to me as well so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, what do you think Simon was thinking? This is cool. Because in magic, one of the things that you desire is power. Why do people go to the occult? Because they want to control their environment. How many of you have control issues? Just confess it now. Confession is good for the soul. No, just a few people have control issues in here. Okay. So if I can control my environment, if I could, you know, maybe bring healing to my life or protection or maybe even get somebody, you know, you've seen the little dolls, you know, you stick the little doll. If I can get my enemies that way, well, I'm controlling my environment, right? So he said, hey, Hey, get, here's, some, here's some dough. Uh, I, I want to be able to do this. And Peter, and if you've read Acts 5, 3, and 4, uh, you know that Peter had a pretty good uh, way of reading people. He read Ananias and Sapphira pretty well. So here's what happens. So Peter said to him, 20, may your silver perish with you. He had read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter. Your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. And Simon answered and said, I repent, I'm sorry, no. He said, pray to the Lord for me, yourselves, so that nothing that you have said may come upon me. Some of you know that uh, church history believes that this man may be Simon Magus, who was a notorious uh, person who brought error into the church. And so he may have not never been genuinely saved. Just because you get baptized doesn't mean you're born again. You have to have a change of heart. You have to have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. One more before I call up the Kellys. It's Acts 13. Acts 13. Just a few uh, pages to your right. Verse 5. When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a certain magician. Here's again the idea of someone who practices magic in the occult. He was a Jewish false prophet whose name was what? Bar Jesus. Bar means son. Jesus means salvation. So his name was son of salvation. Just because you use the name of Jesus doesn't mean it's the Jesus of the Bible. There's another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit. There's a lot of guys in Mexico named Jesus. <laughs> Maybe you've met a few here as well. They can't save you. Only the true Jesus can save you. You've got to define your terms. Do you know that there was a lot of witches that believe that Jesus was a witch? They do. Because of his miracle working power. But Jesus is God the Son, the Son of God. And so... He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus. He was a man of intelligence, kind of the uh, governor of the area. 
The man summoned Barnabas and Saul, that's before Saul becomes Paul, sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus the magician, for this, thus his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul, what? Away from the faith. But Saul, who is also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, so this is Holy Spirit driven, he also had read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, fixed his gaze upon him and said, you who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. By the way, Saul had gone through something similar, right? And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, would you? <laughs> Man, that was impressive. When he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching, not the miracle, but the teaching of the Lord. Now, why was this magician opposing uh, Paul and the message of the gospel? There, there are some that they're embroiled in this world and they oppose the gospel. Not all. Some will say, whatever's true for you is fine. There, there's a saying within Wicca that says, as long as it doesn't harm anybody, do what you will. Witches basically have this worldview. They're anti-dogmatic. At least that's what they claim. Anti-authoritarian. It's a very eclectic movement. They say that uh, put, getting down the doctrine of Wicca is almost like herding cats. It's very diversified. They, they do what they do, but they're told if the old spells don't work and you come up with new stuff that works, then just use that. It's basically whatever works. And that sounds very familiar. By the way, the view of Wicca or witchcraft is that you are divine and you just have to discover the divinity within you. Do you guys see a thread of similarity in just about every false movement in the world? You're a god. You just don't know it yet. That's, that's pretty much the old lie repackaged over and over again. And witches, by the way, believe in reincarnation. They believe that you live over and over and over again. And reincarnation is determined by the law of karma. The law of karma is almost like the occult view of sowing and reaping. And so they say karma actually means it's action. So for every action, there is a reaction or another action, whether positive or negative, whether in this life or in your life to come. So this is the worldview of Wicca. And there are people who actually you know, get involved with it. Sometimes they get involved in astrology or horoscopes uh, and that kind of thing. Uh, they get involved with tarot cards, for example, or they go to a medium or they want to find out information about the past, present, or future. And there are people who attend Christian churches who do not see a problem with that. And let me just say to you, that is forbidden for a Christian. It's, it's forbidden in both the... Old and New Testament. Now, uh, I'm going to ask Joe and Wendy to come up, and as they do, would you turn in your Bibles to Galatians 5? Galatians 5. 
So this, this is the section that leads into the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. I'm going to let you guys get situated. Okay. You can submit questions using the cross icon, not the megaphone, just so you guys know. Use the cross icon, not the megaphone. Okay. Go, turn to Galatians 5. Look at verse 19. Galatians 5, 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, Galatians 5.20, idolatry. What's the next word there? Sorcery. See that word sorcery? It's a synonym for witchcraft. Sorcery and witchcraft are basically synonymous terms. And the word there, sorcery, is the Greek word pharmakia, where we get the English word pharmacy. And in a positive sense, in one sense, you could say it could be for administering medication, but that's not the use in the Bible. Whenever pharmacia is used in the Bible, it's always used in a negative sense because it was involved with the occult. Because people in the occult like to practice altered states of consciousness. So if you can alter your state of consciousness, then you are more open to the spirits who then can give you information. They, they believe that you can take a drug and be on a different plane, and by doing so, you can get in contact with these spirit entities. So it doesn't mean that everybody who takes a medication is susceptible, but you guys understand what I'm saying. Now, now I want to uh, point out one more. It's back in Acts 19, and I want to give you a solution. What do you do if you, let's say that you dabbled with this and you ran into some dark stuff? What do you do? Well, there is a solution and it's in the book of Acts chapter 19. And here's what it says. 1918. Many also of those who believed kept coming and confessing and disclosing their practices. Many of them, Acts 19, 19, who practiced magic, brought their books together, began burning them in the sight of all. They counted up the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. I have a recommendation. If you have been messing with the darkness and maybe something's come in or is around that you don't like, anything that's an object associated with that practice, burn it. And I say that on biblical authority. Get it out of your life. Get it out of your house. Don't mess with it. Because in some way, as weird as it may sound, that object has become a channel for the darkness. And so you get rid of it. And by the way, by getting rid of it, and this is true of any area of our lives, not just the occult, by getting rid of something that stumbles you, it shows you're serious. Because if you don't burn it, but you put it in a little cubby, you know what you're pretty much saying? I'm just going to put you over here, but the next time I'm going to indulge. You're playing a game with yourself. And so th these people showed they were serious, and they burned that stuff. Wendy, tell us, tell us a little bit about your history and your upbringing, just things from your childhood. Okay, so first of all, I just, um, before I get there, I, there's a couple of things that were very important to me that I needed to say uh, 
prior to taking this journey with you. First of all, I am scared to death to be sitting up here. This is not my comfort zone at all. Um, I'm very good one-on-one, -on -one, but you, you all your faces um, is a little much for me. So if I am, uh, if I sound nervous, it's because I am. Uh, um, Wendy, it freaks me out too, just so you know. <laughs> Regardless of what people think, I actually like to be the background. Yeah. Which we, we would never guess with your personality, I know, but I know. that's how a lot of people are. Yeah. Um, and then also, uh, when Pastor Michael talked to me about doing this, it was, um, and I heard JT, I think JT's over here. Um, when I heard JT's story and Pastor Michael announced uh, last month that I was going to be here, I had an overwhelming need to protect my mother. Um, and I made that pretty clear to Pastor Michael that I needed to be here tonight to share the good news of God and grace, but to also um, honor her and honor who she was as my mother and my children's grandmother. So I'm going to do that tonight uh, to the best of my ability. And, and I do uh, know where you're going with that. And I think that's wonderful. And I also, we're going to, as we come full circle, we'll talk about the hint of redemption that yeah. is in this story, your redemption, but then how your mom near the end was kind of reaching out, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. But yeah. let's talk about your childhood. So okay. as a child, it was a different world for you. You didn't have the typical upbringing. No. Um, there was some strange stuff going on in your house, yeah. seances, uh, I guess you would say a coven was meeting there. And by the way, a coven is uh, kind of a witch's gathering. The ideal number is 13, but it can be anywhere from 3 to 30 who are practicing Wicca, kind of like their assembly. And they assemble around the, 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 uh, the moon and that kind of thing, waning, waxing, that kind of thing. So some of your early memories about people coming into the home and things that were going on. So I actually didn't realize that I was not normal. Um, I grew up in an upper middle class neighborhood and uh, my mother was very successful financially and very uh, successful in corporate America, but she, um, I always knew as a child that there was something wrong in my household. Um, there was always a bad, heavy feeling in my household. Um, I grew up in a home that, that never spoke a word about a God. I never heard anything about God. Um, I didn't even know God existed. I, uh, she prayed to the powers of the elements, uh, to the universe, fire, water, air, earth, spirituality. Those were her gods. Um, she had people over. I was telling Pastor Michael that there was a time when I was young, and I don't remember how young. Um, you could see my mother never did, a lot of the stuff that she did was behind closed doors, so the children were supposed to be in bed, right, but I was a bad kid, so <laughs> kind of like your story this morning, she said, don't go out of bed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Strong will? Yeah, oh yeah, a little bit. Okay. Uh, anyway, my mom would have her friends over, and they would sit what we would, you know, consider Indian style, right, and they would all be sitting around the room, and, and I remember watching them, and I, the only thing that would come to mind is they were, like, chanting, and I had no idea what was happening in my house other than I was always scared. Um, I was always felt like there was a, just a ton of bricks that laid on my, my, my chest. And, and as a child, I remember, and, I, and it's funny, you know, not funny, haha, -ha, but interesting that um, 
Thank you for that. That, was, <laughs> that little breakup, I needed that. Um, this we- these last few weeks of re- revisiting my childhood, you know, I am very good at uh, logically thinking. I can logically think myself through about anything. And so I, I think there's a part of me that completely disconnected. I've talked about my mom for a lot of years um, as a joke, right? I made fun of some of the things that she did, and I used to say, oh, she was crazy, and she would invite all this stuff. And then it dawned on me a few years ago. Well, it didn't really dawn on me. Joe dawned on me a few years ago. He looked right at me. He goes, you know, your mom's a witch. And I was like, what, what do you mean? So for examples, um, growing up, I remember as a child that I couldn't fall asleep at night. That I would lay in my bed and I was scared. I just knew that there was something in my house and, and something in my room and something that was going to hurt me. About how old were you when you... I had to be... I mean, I was little. I mean, everything that I remember is from the age... Because it was always in a house that we moved into when I was seven. And I moved out of my home when I was 15 years old. What, what area were you in? So we were in Northern California, Las Gatas, Santa Cruz. Okay. Um, very, very um, feminist movement area. Uh-huh. That was the time for that. And, um, and there is, there is a, a movement, uh, the Dianic movement, which is just kind of a female-only uh, coven. Is that, is that It was all females? Always females. I, Joe was asking me about males. There was never any males. In fact, my own stepfather was not ever a part of what it was she was doing. And by the way, uh, the, the whole wizard witch thing is kind of a misnomer. Uh, a male is considered a witch as well. Just, just kind of FYI. So you saw some strange things. Like it wasn't just a feeling of scared. And I think you sensed a darkness, a presence but there was also like physical manifestations. What's some of the things that you saw? Happen? So I did, I did have a, 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 a dark presence around me um, always. And, and I mean in the literal sense that I would wake up and over my bed would be the form of a dark presence. And all I ever saw was, was darkness and then, and then a shadow. And, and um, that was almost the norm for me. I was actually used to, to that. Um, things moved in my house. I would wake up one morning and all the chairs would be upside down. And the table would be upside down and the chairs would be pushed out. Um, we had this uh, sand castle arrangement around the fireplace in the living room. And we would wake up in the morning and they would be all over different places in the house. And I don't mean like somebody just thought it would be fun to strategically move them in places. I mean they were, you would go to bed at night and they would be in place. And the next morning they would be all over the house. And that was my normal. Um, I had a friend one time in junior high ask me if I would go to church with her. And I remember saying, what do you do there? And she's like, oh, we have fun. We go to youth group and we're, you know, we just get to play or whatever it was she said. And I ran home to my mom and I said, mom, can I go to church with Don and Wendy? And she looked at me and she goes, you want to go where? And I said, I, they're going to church. I didn't even know what church was. I was like, let's have a good time. And she said, um, you can go, but you would really, would, you can go, but you need to keep an open mind. And she had this look of disappointment, I remember. Mm. And I never went. Um, my mom, uh, I had my first psychic reading when I was like eight or nine. And I was going to have three kids. And um, I have eight. Um, 
I was going That's to... That's pretty much uh, when I read those fortune cookie things. Yeah, it's not. And it says, you are very creative yeah, and all that. And I'm just, like, That's a bunch of hogwash. Um, but anyway. Yeah. You know, my mom, and I said this to Pastor Michael, my mom and I were like sandpaper from, from very little age. We, from, I can remember from a young age, we never quite rubbed together very well. Um, I loved her dearly. But I knew, I knew to the depths of my soul that something in my house was wrong. So let's fast forward a little bit. So um, eventually you ended up meeting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Like how, how did you hear the gospel for the first time and what happened? What time is it? <laughs> You're going to have to tell a condensed version. Okay. Um, I ended up moving out of my house when I was 15 years old. And when I say moved out, I mean kicked out. Um, and so I lived a, um, not so Christian lifestyle. Obviously I didn't know the Lord. I didn't know anything about the Lord. And so I was involved with drugs and alcohol and, and, um, legal issues. And, um, so you had an involuntary relocation? I did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. In fact, the court said, you know what, guess what? We're going to be your parents. And so I just went, oh, Okay. Um, so anyway, uh, I got a bit, to, to, to make a very long story short, I was in an abusive relationship, and when I was 19 years old, I uh, decided to move. My parents got divorced when I was three, and my biological father lived here in Cyprus. Uh, my biological father, my whole life, I was, I was told, was an agnostic. I had no idea what that meant, but that's what I just figured he liked to do. I didn't know what that even was. I had no idea what that meant, but... So little did I know that when I called my father because I needed to uh, relocate at 19 years old, um, I told him I needed to come to Southern California and live with him. And he said, he said I've been waiting for this phone call for a lot of years. And um, so I did. I moved to Southern California from Northern California, and I started to go to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. Um, I wanted to get my life together. And there I met a man and his name was Tom. And Tom was the one man who changed my life. Tom was the weirdest man, too. <laughs> he was so bizarre. He was so bizarre, but he was like exactly what I needed because I hated women and I didn't want to trust women. And so I was like, okay, Tom, you're going to be my sponsor. And he's like, that's right, I'm going to be your sponsor. And I had this like issue with um, authority and, you know, powers that be, the powers of the universe. And I had an issue with people praying to God because I thought you were weak. Um, because I grew up in a home that you said you, you defined your own destiny and your power is within you and, you, you know, you're strong, you're going to be successful and you're the one that makes it happen. So the idea of a higher power for me was kind of a joke. And so one day, Tom and I were bantering back and forth about the idea of a higher power, and he just, he kind of like threw his hands up. And he's like, you know what? Fine. You think you're so powerful? I want you to go to the beach, and I want you to sit on the ledge of the beach, and I want you to watch the ocean, and then I want you to, wa I want you, I want you to walk out to the ocean, and I want you to stop the waves from breaking. And logically, I knew that was really stupid of Tom to say, and I was irritated that he said it. Um, but for whatever reason, I did it. Were you able to stop the waves? No, I tried. Like, I tried to uh -huh. gather my inner strength. Did you, uh, did you, like, 
try anything special, like speak no. to the universe? No, because like I was pretty irritated with the universe uh-huh. at that point in my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's rough when you get irritated with the universe. It is, because right? there's nowhere to go. Now, your mom, uh, you said, looking back, got involved with the book called The Secret. She did. Which was a phenomenon. Uh, was it Eckhart Tolle, I think, that wrote the book? And he, was, he got a bunch of airtime on Oprah. And the secret basically said you can speak to the universe and basically order whatever you want. And so, for example, if you were going to eat a double-double cheeseburger and you don't want to get fat, you just say to the universe, I'm about to eat this double-double, and it ain't going to make me fat. And it's because I'm sending up these good vibes. I wish that would work. But anyway, it doesn't work. Uh, you can't eat cookies and, and cheeseburgers, and, and it's calories. It's just how it works. But anyway, so she got into that, and it kind of fit with her worldview, which goes with the whole New Age witchcraft thing. And she embraced that, um, which, you know, sadly, there's even elements of the professing Christian church, the word faith movement, that embraces some of this stuff and puts Christian terms on it, but that's for another time. Um, so you went out there, and uh, you couldn't stop the waves. And so what I happened? went out uh, to the ocean. I went to Huntington Beach all by myself. Um, by the way, the surfers would have been really upset had they you. They probably yeah, would have been. It was, you know, uh, that was a very special day for me, though, because, you know, I didn't grow up in church, and I didn't know anything about God. And I don't know that you're, you know, you hear people now say, invite the Lord into your heart. I didn't know, I didn't know anything about that. Um, but I remember looking at the waves, and I remember the Holy Spirit just embodying me. And I just knew that I had been wrong this whole time. Mm. And I truly believe that the Lord came after me. He does that. He does. And you know what? I am here to tell you, he will get you. (laughs) (laughs) He's definitely a seeker of the lost. Um, And from that moment on, I didn't know anything even about what that that feeling was, but I went back to crazy Tom, and I said, what did you do to me? Um, And he said, let me introduce you to God. And so I, I take it that Tom was a Christian. Tom was a Christian, but he was weird. He was. There's a lot of those out there. there I mean, are, I need, like I said, I needed weird, but yeah, there are brethren, you know. But hey, I'd we love have him to love dearly. him. That's what the Lord. I do, says. and I have no idea where Tom is today. And Tom was in my life for that very small season, and um, and wow. it was my it was life changing for me. And he does he know the impact that he, he has? Has on no him? idea. Wow, amazing. I, I am here for a reason. It, oh, yeah. It was this to, is Joe. Uh, it was to uh, provide some moral support for Wendy and then kind of fill in the gaps where she just completely. We were going to try to ignore things. you the whole time, Joe. But uh, <laughs> Wendy's dad is a believer and was a believer when she moved oh, from Northern California down to Southern California. There. So that, that played a huge part in it also. Um, I would imagine that your dad was probably praying for you because he said he had been waiting for the phone call. He did. So we could talk about my dad. My dad, um, in between the time, you know, long story short, I didn't really have a relationship with my father either, but um, in between the time uh, that I would see my dad, he had been saved. And 
he got saved at this little church called Westminster Foursquare Church, and that is where he attended church. And God is funny the way he does things to Amen. me. Um, so he had been praying for me, mm. and um, it took me a while to walk into that little church on the corner, but I did. So let's circle back around because we got to get to the Q&A time. We're going to run out of time quickly. Um, your mom ended up getting cancer. Yes. And uh, she was terminal. Yes. And I know you and your, I think you said your sister was involved and you guys My were, sisters. your sisters were caring for her and you ended up going up there. But your mom had sent you a text. Yes. And uh, what, what does, did the text say? So we found out on February 25th, 2013, that my mom had brain cancer. It was terminal. She had lesions all throughout her body. And so I went up to Northern California to put her affairs in in order. And I spent about two weeks with her by myself. And you have to know that every time I brought up Jesus to my mom in the past, it was rejected. And like you said earlier, my mom believed in everything, anything and everything. In fact, when I was talking to Pastor Michael, I was overwhelmed with the anxiety of going, I, I don't even know what she believed because there was psychics and tarot cards and power to the universe and uh, shamanism and all of these things that, that she was all eclectic into one. So except for one, when I would bring up, bring up Jesus, she would completely reject the idea of Christ. And so for the two weeks that um, we were up there, I was up there by myself with her putting her affairs in order and after I left, my sister had come, and I went home to be with, you know, back home to my family. And I got a text one day from my mom, and all it said was, are you sure? And I said, am I sure about what, mom? And she said, are you sure about Jesus? And I said, yeah, mama, I'm sure. And she said, okay, I trust you. And um, about two weeks later, I had to go to Chicago where we, were, we sent her to my sisters in Chicago, and um, my sister couldn't take care of her alone. And so um, for eight weeks, we were able to talk to my mom about Jesus. A side note, my mom thought that she'd... Oh, you can clap for that, yeah. <laughs> Six months before she was sick, she thought my mom thought she had failed as a parent because two of her four children were believers. <laughs> True story. Yeah. So we went to Chicago, and um, my sister, my older sister and I are believers. My younger sister practices the same practice my mom does, but my younger sister was there too. And we were able to honor my mother and love her and show her Jesus for the next eight weeks. And I told Pastor Michael, I truly believe that God gave my mom brain cancer and a terminal illness so he could save her. And that, you know, when you come down to the, let's, let's just say real life, and you've got a terminal disease and in one sense, we're all terminal. We're all pretty much day-to-day, right? Um, it's amazing how all of a sudden someone who believes something so opposite their whole life goes back to Jesus. She did. Because they know that Jesus is the one that defeated death. And there's a deep sense 
I think, in everyone because we've been made in the image of God. There's an internal witness to the true God of the Bible. There's an external witness, and we already know. And we have to suppress the truth. We, we got to push it away. And we all have our reasons, right? Humans are a bit complex. Why, why we push truth away, why we push it down. It could be hurt. It could be wounds. It could be a number of different things. There's, a, there's also a spiritual battle. Absolutely. And we've talked about that. Um, so there's a story of redemption, your redemption. And then your mom, you know, we can't say dogmatically because right. she never said the sinner's prayer in your, in your presence. No. But, but she did ask you if you were sure about Jesus and, uh, and, and we'll take that as a positive sign that she was, you know, hopefully crying out to him. Yeah. All right, we're gonna, we're gonna segue to a time of Q&A and we, we only have a little bit of time so I'm gonna read these out and we'll, we'll kind of tackle them together because we want Joe to talk a little bit more. <laughs> My wife's friend is the only believer in her house. Her stepmom is openly involved in witchcraft. She has cursed her stepkids there's been weird things happening, such as dark figures, etc. She went to church once and was very uncomfortable. You know, when we get people who are very uncomfortable in church, we used to call it the bulletin shuffle. And they're just kind of, they're just not comfortable in church because the Holy Spirit's doing something. But anyway, um, any advice for my wife's friend to combat this besides prayer? So basically, wife's friend only believer in the house, stepmom into witchcraft. Let's put a curse on the kids. A lot, of, a lot of dark stuff going on. Besides praying, which of course is one of our most effective weapons, what else would you recommend? I would certainly recommend speaking the truth, right? Uh, I would speak scripture into the situation for sure. I would get the kids out of there because as somebody who grew up, I, I don't know who asked that question, but I can tell you that as a child, I got robbed. And I can say that because I worked through it, <laughs> but I didn't know anything about hope, and I didn't know anything about a God that loved me. And I truly believe that because of that, there were things that I, decisions that I made in my life that perhaps could have went a different way. This home that this person's talking about sounds like a battlefield, man. Absolutely. Sounds like just an absolute battlefield. And I think when you have differing worldviews and just a recommendation, if any of you are not married and you're considering marrying a non-Christian, please don't do that. No. Because you, you need to be on the same page with that person that you're going to commit to for the rest of your life. Okay, uh, is hypnotism something not to be a part of? W what does hypnosis actually do? Well, it alters your state of consciousness, right? So hypnotism has been used to kind of make fools of people on stage, but some people say they've overcome cigarette smoking and that kind of thing by hypnotism. Any exposure You know, power that? suggestion, it's uh, for a per person to be hypnotized, they have to be a willing accomplice in the, in the situation. So the hypnotist um, is trying to, through suggestion, modify behavior. The, the problem that I see with it and where I would recommend against being hypnotized is that because you are relinquishing your will, you are opening a door. And, you know, all throughout the Old Testament, 
prohibitions from uh, in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Exodus. The prophets Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah all talk about uh, the prohibitions against mediums, against sorcery, against divination, yes. against any of the cult practices. And so when, when you are relinquishing your will, um, that's not a good spot to be in. Yeah, because someone then has control over you, and you want the Holy Spirit to control you, so you want to submit your will to God's will. But the Bible does not talk about... The Bible says self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. You don't want to be out of control or hyper-suggestible, and that's what happens in these situations. Somebody asked the question, are Wicca and witchcraft the same? They are. Wicca is the more modern term for witchcraft, which has been around for since the Old Testament times. And I, I, I think you mentioned it, but there's such an eclectic mix yes. of practices. Yes. And so like Wendy was saying, her mother was in the tarot cards. She had her group over, and they would do chants and seances. She was into really anything that she thought. Now, here's the thing about the occult and wanting to uh, remove the veil and gain knowledge that doesn't belong to you, and that's what it is, trying to gain knowledge that doesn't belong to you, is that all of these different methodologies feed it's 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 idolatry really what it is you're saying that you want to ascend like satan did in isaiah chapter 14 you want to ascend on high and make yourself equal to you want to gain that which doesn't belong to you that only belongs to god and i think that's that's the issue. And that would include necromancy, which is kind of really part Communicating of Communicating with the dead. Yeah, First Samuel right. 28, which is forbidden. And it's like, why, why do people go there? You, you can understand the emotional part of it, you know, if they wanted to connect with a, a deceased loved one and that kind of thing. But the Bible just basically says, don't mess with things that are behind the veil. Don't mess Leave with things it behind alone. the veil. Trust the Lord. And if you start messing with it, you're going to probably, most likely, if anything authentic happens, you're going to end up meeting a demon or you're going to meet something dark. Well, and that, that you make a good point. Anybody out there saying that they're going to put you in touch with a, a deceased loved one, they are mistaken. So you, you have the, you have the uh, charlatans, right? Right. That don't do any, th- any such thing. And then if there's an authentic connection uh, with beyond the physical with something supernatural that isn't your aunt betty they may that demon may claim to be but if you remember if satan is seeking whom he may devour correct yep. if he's seeking whom he may deceive he is the the, the chief liar yep. um, then he will fool anybody and convince you that you are communicating with a deceased loved one, and it's bringing you comfort because they're telling you what's going on on the other side or things are going to be okay. Anything to keep you from the truth, anything to keep you from seeking Christ. And even masquerades as an angel of light. So he might do something that might be impressive. You might have an experience that's impressive, but it's it's a big, fat lie. There's a hook behind it. My friend spent a lot of money on and time in magic tricks. Is he practicing magic? Is practicing magic bad? Not prestidigitation. Sleight of hand is just sleight of hand. It's not calling on a cult spiritual power. So uh, I don't think that was going to lead somebody into something bad. Uh, if you're just if you're just into card tricks and that kind of thing, it's 
I don't see a big issue with that. But someone who's crossing over into calling upon spirits and that kind of thing, of course, is wrong. Uh, Then they told me to ignore the question. (laughs) Is Chinese medicine part of Wicca? I used to see a lady for acupuncture or cupping while listening to calming meditation music. Is this allowed? Uh, I don't think Chinese medicine per se is part of Wicca. Uh, I do think that there's probably some, uh, I've seen athletes with the, you know, my wife was just talking to me about this, where the, the, the marks are from cupping. It's supposed to be, you know, something to relieve tension or whatever, or minister to that part of your body. I have a friend that's a Christian that did acupuncture and apparently it was effective for him. Uh, I don't know if it's tied to anything per se that would be Eastern or occultic, but if it went with other things, if you're doing you know, something that included the religious part of it, or they're trying to convince you of something that way, then obviously I would uh, steer away from that. How can one tell the difference between a gift from the Lord and a gift that's luring you in from Satan? Like a gift of the Holy Spirit uh, as opposed to something that might be demonic. Does it glorify God? Talking to the microphone. Oh, sorry. I hate this thing. What you said is excellent. What did you just say? Does that gift glorify God? Because that's why we're given them, is to glorify God. Does it edify his Does it body? Edify, yeah, his, right? I, I think people are so, um, they're, they're so interested in this subject. And as intently as everybody looks right now at me, in a serious note, that's how intently I listen to the word of God. Because if, you, if we don't know, if we don't know the truth, it is so easy to yes. be deceived. And there's a lot of uh, movements out there that are claiming to be Christian that are yeah. dabbling with some of this stuff. And so, um, and plus the, the Lord's given us discernment. Yes. And uh, the Holy Spirit gives us discernment. We measure everything by the word of God. That's why we need to grow. I, I, I've heard this question. I, I sort of think the person asking it is asking because either they have an ability or they know somebody that has an ability that doesn't line up with what we would call a spiritual gift in Scripture. And so they want to know, have, is, have I been endowed with an ability that, uh, from God that I can't find anywhere in Scripture? For instance, some type of psychic ability. I know there are people that claim to have psychic ability and just say that, that, that it is a gift from God. Um, but again, uh, psychic ability is um, knowledge of things that you don't have any right to have knowledge of. Where that would be, you could make a distinction between that and maybe a premonition. Some people feel like they've had premonitions or, or things like that. And you could say, well, maybe in some sense God could warn somebody. Uh, but I would, I would also be asking the question, what's it leading you right. down? I mean, you know, where, where is it heading um, it seems that witches get their power from demons and may be possessed. Yet you said that this is not Satan worship. Isn't all worship of demons also Satan worship? No, because because someone who may end up having a spirit come into them may not be worshiping Satan, but it could end up that they end up possessed or they end up oppressed because they open the door. But that, that's not, that doesn't mean that it's outright satanic worship, although I kind of understand what the person's saying. But 
um, you know, they can end up in trouble. Uh, why and what does it mean when Wiccans use stones? What do they believe the stones do? Does that mean we shouldn't have anything to do with stones like tiger's eye, etc.? So, uh, like any, healing stones? That's probably part of it. Maybe crystals it, as well. You know, when we're, you're talking about these sort of nature religions, um, endearing the elements, um, a lot of people that practice this witchcraft or Wiccan, they set up little altars in their homes, and sometimes they set up things in an organized fashion. Stones could represent an altar. Um, sometimes you'll see a, a stone formation outside. If you think about around the world, some of these archaeological digs and, and, and findings, and a lot of them are tied to religious ceremony, ritual, etc., Stonehenge, things like that. So stones are just representative of elements of the earth, and um, there's a, because of that, and the attempt by ritual to endear yourself with abilities, stones just come in handy that way. In they one sense, so you, could say, you could say that was stolen, though, because altars were made by, with stones by the patriarchs. Right, sure. um, the children of Israel, after they crossed the Jordan, set up Monuments. stones, a monument. So, again, I don't think that would eliminate your use of it, but I would just say, if you're going to do something, then ask the question, why, and is it, is it for God's glory? If it's something involved with the occult, of course, um, I have Christian friends that always talk about karma. So does it mean that karma is not a Christian term? It's not. Karma is a Hindu term, or I think it has actually Arabic origins, potentially. I'm trying to remember. I think it, it probably comes from Hinduism, but it's not a Christian term. So if you say, that's bad karma, dude, <laughs> we kind of know what you mean, but that's not a Christian term. The, the Christian terms are sowing and reaping, which you could say in one sense has a similar type of meaning, but, but it's all about who's the one that, you know, is, is allowing reward or possibly discipline. Anything to add to that? No, I think you're right. With karma, you're talking about something that's deterministic, something that is um, a response because of. So you behaved a certain way, and karma thrusts upon you a result of the way of because of your behavior well and on a side note you know in my mother's case karma was a very big deal so yeah. I mean, very yeah. big deal okay a few more is lucid dreaming a part of this or is that of the enemy lucid dreaming dream interpretation is a big part of the occult um, and and it can be put into a, a category that is unhealthy. Um, and I know some people who have messed with the occult that ended up having some really scary nightmares as a result of it. What would you say? Anything about dreams that you would comment on? It, I, that's a tough one. I, we all dream. I'm not sure what the lucid means, lucid dream, just that you can recall it when you wake up. I don't know. I think we all have dreams like that. I've never put much stock in thinking that every dream has a specific meaning. Yep. Um, because that would mean that every dream was uh, specifically implanted. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. When a lot of times our dreams could have to do with things that we had thought about during the day, yep. 
or something we're planning on or stressed about, and who knows the uh, physical mechanism that happens with the synapses in our brain, et cetera. And plus, outside of like Daniel and Joseph and a, and a dream that came to Joseph in the New Testament, there's no doctrine about dream interpretation right. in the New Testament. And I would be very careful that you don't, you don't make more of this as a category than what the Bible Well, allows. remember, we have Scripture. We have a closed canon. So God does speak to us. He has spoken to us in the infallible, in his infallible word. Amen. Okay, I used to have a life coach who would tell me that the world would give me messages. She said that my grandpa gave her messages for me. Should I believe her? <laughs> is it all bad? So you got a life coach who's saying that, I guess the universe is sending messages. I'm curious how they come. I don't know if they're text or... <laughs> I'm sorry, but I know it's a serious question. Um, Look, the universe can't say anything to you because the universe is a product of God. The universe doesn't have a personality. God made it. The universe is just the stuff that God made. It doesn't have personality. It can't talk to you, so you shouldn't talk to it. So I don't think it's going to send you any messages. And then finally, can you explain Freemasonry? Is it part of the occult? Freemasonry. Kind of some interesting I'm, I'm stuff gonna, about Freemasonry. I'm going to sit back and listen to that. I don't know anything about it. The, the Masons I, I have know some, that, I ahead. know that there are occultic practices, but I also know that there are people that claim to be Christians uh, in Masonry. I also know that there are levels, and the, the deeper you get into it, the, um, the more evidence is that as a Christian you shouldn't be in it. So perhaps yeah. when you first join, you don't see any harm in it. Yeah. They are altruistic, um, like, you know, Eastern Star. I mean, there, there's a lot of groups out there that have occultic practices. The, the deeper you go and the hidden, the secret societies and yeah. things like that. And all of the, the vows and stuff that they take. Secret vows, and, and blood oaths. Blood oaths. And, and ultimately, it doesn't point to the God of the Bible. I think that's clear. It doesn't point to the God of the Bible. It's a generic God. Yes. So we know right off the bat um, yeah. that that's wrong. So you could say it has a cultic, occultic type of elements, but it's... It's probably not. It's probably categorized more as a cult than the occult, although it has occultic elements to I it. I think it does, I th and I think there are some parallels with, in Mormonism too. Yes, yeah. There's evidence that he was messing with these peep stones and that kind of stuff. All right, we are at eight fifteen, and we are so glad that you were here tonight. And there was a question on the sheet. Um, that was asking about salvation and asking, okay, the end of the story. And obviously, Wendy became a Christian, and you've heard that. And, and I just want to ask you, and, and it's us here tonight, and it's people who will watch this later, and people you know, who um, you know, may get this 10 years from now. And, I, and I just want, I'm just going to look into the camera and ask this question. Are you born again? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you been born again to that living hope? If you have messed with this stuff, it doesn't mean that there's no hope for you. It just means that you need to meet the living God. And you're here for a reason. You're listening to this for a reason. And the question is, how do you come to faith in Jesus Christ? And it's, and it's very simple. A child can do it. And here's what it is. Jesus loves you. He came into this world because God so loved you that he gave his only son. He died on the cross because he loves you. He rose from the dead to defeat death. 
And if you'll put your trust in him for your salvation, he will save you. And you have to have a moment where you do that for yourself. Your grandma can't do it for you. Your grandpa, your uncle who was a minister, your mom or dad. You have to have a moment where you're born again to that living hope. And I just want to say to you, if you're not sure tonight that you know Jesus, make sure. Put your trust in him. He's already paid the price. He already died for your sin. He's already, the gospel is already a done deal. It's good news. Now you just have to open your heart to it. Instead of opening your heart to all the other stuff, open your heart to the one who made you, the one who has loved you, and he will love you to the end. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you so much for uh, this night. We thank you for all the precious people who came out. I want to specifically thank you for Wendy, for being vulnerable tonight and sharing her testimony. May you bless her, Lord. She blessed us tonight so richly. Um, We're so grateful that she uh, told her story because it's a story of redemption. And we're just so grateful that she is just uh, part of the beauty of the jewels that are in this church and the church all around the world who each have an incredible story of salvation. Thank you for Joe tonight and his wisdom. And... uh, Thank you for all of those who contributed to this service, who have helped set this up behind the scenes, working the board, the camera, just everybody who ushered and just helped out tonight, just with a smiling face and a hug. And I pray, Lord, that you'll use tonight to draw people close to you, to make us more equipped, to make us more usable, and to help us to reach out to those who are in these movements with your love, with the good news of the gospel, with truth. Let us not be obnoxious. Let us not beat people up, but let us look for opportunities to win the opportunity and then to win people to Christ. We love you, we worship you, and we thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.